to our live message. I am sitting here in the auditorium, uh, just surrounded by empty chairs. Uh, I joked with Pastor Scott earlier that as of today, no one can ever say that they preach to a more empty crowd than I have um, as far as people in person. I know there's plenty of you watching online, and I'm thankful for you taking your morning to tune in with us. Um, my name is Preston Waller. I'm the student pastor here. For those of you who may be new or may be uh, just watching and may have forgotten, I'm glad that you've chosen to be with us. Uh, we are in part four in our last part of our series, Wouldn't It Be Nice? And this is a series that we're just kind of answering the question, wouldn't it be nice if this happened or that didn't happen. And Pastor Scott's done a great job over the past three weeks talking about that uh, just with us as a family. He's talked about in week one, developing healthy habits and what that looks like and what that means. And then he talked about week two, just talking about healthy relationships. And then last week he addressed the topic of spiritual growth. And so now today, uh, you know, my job really is to kind of wrap it up, put a nice little bow on it, and I'm excited to do that with us together. So today, the real topic we're going to talk about is perseverance. What does it mean to persevere? What does it mean to push through? What does it mean to kind of get through those barriers of life? Because there's one thing I know, as much as it's nice, and Scott's done a great job with all three of these weeks, uh, the reality is everyone watching online, everyone who will watch this message, including myself, Every one of us will fail in those areas. It, it's just a product of life. You will not perfectly have healthy relationships. You will not perfectly have all of those things uh, just to kind of um, wrap together up. So I know that you're going to drop the ball. I'm going to drop the ball. So how do we learn, even in the midst of knowing we'll fail, continue to persevere? Uh, one of the things I found in my research for this week's message that I think is just important for us to see together is that uh, research has shown that when it comes to New Year's resolutions, 43% of people give up their New Year's resolutions by February. So within a month's time, almost half of all people who create a New Year's resolution have failed and given up on it. And I know that maybe some of us today, and even more than that, I believe one of the cool facts I found, and I'm going to put it on, hopefully it'll come on the screen for us, is that 92% uh, of people never achieve some kind of major goal in their life. And this comes from the University of Scranton, who did some research on goal setting and what it means to set goals. They found that 92% of people never achieve a major goal they set for themselves in life, whether that is getting out of debt, buying a house, starting a family, uh, losing weight, whatever the case may be, that a major goal in their life, 92% failed. And that's discouraging for some of us, right? I'm starting this message out. I'm supposed to be giving you encouragement. I'm supposed to be giving you some something that jolts your energy up. And here I am saying, hey, you're going to fail. In fact, statistics show that you're going to fail. Statistics show that most people do drop the ball and quit on things. And it, it becomes very discouraging. But in the face of that, one of the things I think is important for us to understand, and it's my goal for today, is to talk about why we should persevere and how we can persevere together as a family. I think it's so important for us to understand that together. So the question I want to start by answering is, Preston, why should I even continue to persevere? Why? Right? You're talking up front about all these things that are going to happen, all these things that are going to go wrong, how I'm going to screw it up. Why should I even persevere? Why should I even continue? Why should I even fight? And I want to show us biblically uh, why, as, as Christians, there's two reasons, really, we should fight the good fight, why we should press on, why we should continue in the face of uncertainty. 
And the first reason really is that as Christians, as Christ followers, it is a call on our life to persevere. It's not a suggestion. It's not a, well, if you want to keep going, keep going. If you don't, don't. It's a call on our lives to fight the good fight and to keep going. And I know this because it comes from Hebrews. Uh, The writer of Hebrews writes this in Hebrews 12, uh, 1 through 2. This is what he says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run. What's that word? And let us run with perseverance, the race set before us. Right, the author of Hebrews is telling us, let's run with perseverance, the race that is set before us, the calling on our life that is before us, the, the mission that we are to be on, the race we are to run, let us run with perseverance, with endurance. There's a call on your life, there's a call on my life to run the race and to not give up. Now, don't get me wrong, that, that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. I know that there's going to be times in, a, in like a marathon, you're going to hit mile marker 10 and you're going to be out of breath and you're going to say, oh, I need like to sit down, I need some water. If you're like me, you could barely make it past mile marker two and you're ready to quit, right? In a marathon, you take it slow, you go at your pace, but you continue to run with perseverance. And that's the call that the author of Hebrews gives us in 12, 1 and 2. The thing I think is more interesting than that is not only is perseverance a call on your life, on my life as Christ followers, but perseverance is an example that was given to us by Jesus. One of the things I want you to know before we we answer that really quick is that rule of thumb, you're ever reading the Bible, you're ever wondering, should I or should I not do that? The answer will always be, did Jesus do it? If Jesus did it, you should do it too. And and this is what we see in Luke 22. I want to just really show you what happened inside of Jesus when it came time for him to die on the cross. In Luke 22, uh, Jesus is praying to God and the, fa- and the Father in the garden the night before he's to be arrested. And, and we'll see something in this passage I'm going to put on the screen that's so interesting about where Jesus was mentally and emotionally regarding his mission. This is what Luke 22, 41 through 42 says. Jesus withdrew from the disciples and knelt down and prayed. He prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And and that's the thing. Look at those words. He's asking God, I know you've sent me into this world to complete a mission. I know I have a race before me. I know there are things I need to do and you're calling me to, and it's almost time for those things to come to pass. But God, if there's a way you can make another way, do it, please. But then he ends with a beautiful verse and it says, but not my will, God, but yours be done. And and we see something there. Jesus was not looking forward to the death he had to endure. Jesus was not rejoicing saying, well, I'm called to be a Christian and I'm going to rejoice in my sufferings. He's he's nervous. He He wants the cup to pass. He knows that it's a hard task before him. And he's asking God the night before, please take this cup from me. Back to Hebrews 12. There's something very important in verses 2 through 3 that I want us to see in Hebrews 12, uh, verses 2 and 3. This is what it says. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We just read that. Look at this, though. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him. What's that word? Endured the cross. Scorning the shame 
and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's important to see what those words say, enduring. Jesus endured the pain of the cross. When Jesus got nailed to the cross and hung, it's not like 10 seconds in, Jesus said, ah, this really wasn't as, as easy as I thought it would be. Can I just get off of here now? He didn't say, you know, this was a little bit more than I thought it would be. Oh, it's not coming through? Feedback. Oh, okay, that's fine. I'm being told to use this. Okay, that's fine. I'm going to turn this one off. There we go. You guys can just deal with this little mic. Sound good? All right, cool. All right, guys, I'm switching up. I'm, I'm using this. Um, but Jesus is saying in Hebrews 12 that uh, that he had to endure the cross that the cross was not something he looked forward to. We saw that in Luke 22, but he endured it. He didn't get a sec he didn't get to come down off the cross. He endured the pain and he pushed through and he persevered. So when it comes to us and when it comes to perseverance, one of the things we need to understand as we as we jump in today now is that two things. We should persevere one because it's a calling on our lives as Christians. And then two, because Jesus did. Jesus endured the cross, so we should endure and persevere through hardships in our lives. So my, my goal for today is not really to give us some little self-help, little tips and tidbits uh, that could really help us persevere. I do want to show us how we can persevere together, but I, I want to wrap it all up in the blanket of we will fail, we will drop the ball, but there is a hope at the end that I want to get to. So really my, my first point for today is very simple. When If we want to persevere, we have to understand this. Perseverance is the key to growth. Perseverance is the key to growth, and it's so important we understand that because many of us don't see a reason to persevere, like I just said. We, and we have to understand that pushing through, pushing past, enduring, persevering is all beneficial for us, not only in the sense of spirituality. Persevering is beneficial for our growth in all senses, and mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically. We must learn to push through because we have to understand that it's beneficial, right? I mean, let, let's be honest. We've all been there. I've been there. Been at the gym. Said, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. I'm going to eat right. I'm going to go to the gym three times a week, and I'm going to lose weight. Okay, you do that for two weeks. After the second week, life gets busy. Kids get hectic. Things start to turn downward at work. And all of a sudden, you're saying, do I really need to persevere? Do I really need to keep going? Do I really need to do this anymore we ask these questions so we must understand that it's really worth it for us to persevere it's really worth it for us to continue forward in our life because there is growth that comes from it we we ask these real questions about the church about our lives about our relationships about our habits is it really worth it here's the truth and i and i'll give you some tough truth before i give you some good truth the tough truth for you, for me today, is that we don't always get to do what's fun and easy in life, right? We, we just don't. We don't get to always do what's fun. We don't always get to do what's easy. We sometimes have to do what's hard. We have to learn to do hard things and push through them, right? Imagine what your life would look like if you only did what was easy, if you only did what you wanted to do, okay? You'd be overweight because you would never prioritize eating right or eating healthy. You'd be in a copious amount of debt because you would never learn to budget or to spend smartly or to not buy that thing that you don't need. 
your relationships would be in turmoil because as soon as they gave you pushback, you would quit, wipe your hands and say, I'm done, no more for me, right? Our lives would be deadly, toxic, and harmful if we only did what we wanted to do. But the truth is we don't always get to do what we want to do, right? Parents who were sending kids to school who, who were crying on their way out onto the school bus, they don't want to go, but you know you need to go to school, you need to do your homework, you need to do this because it's beneficial for you in the long run. We must start to understand a truth that is so key to life in general, that persevering is a key to growing in any sphere of life. In fact, look at what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 5. I love these verses because they're so simple. He says this, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Do you see the trend there? Hardships produce endurance. When you go through something hard, you become be able to endure more and more. And as you're able to endure more and more, the more your character will grow. And the more your character grows, the more hope there is for your life, for your relationships, for your work, for your habits, for your family, when your character is formed through perseverance. It's why I've said in past messages, and I'll say it again today, God is not mostly concerned with what you do. God is mostly concerned with who you're becoming. The kind of man you're becoming, the kind of woman you're becoming, the kind of student you're becoming, the kind of church member you're becoming. He's in, in interested most in the habits you're developing and the kind of person you're becoming and the character of your soul, the character of your being. And it's so hard for us to understand that because we live in a world that says it only matters what you do. You can hit 50 home runs, but if you have an affair with your wife, that's cool. You're the MVP of the league. Who cares? You, you produce at work, we don't care if your marriage is falling apart or if you treat your kids terribly at home. Character is second to production, but God's kingdom says character is first, production and all that you do is secondary. But who are you becoming today? The habits you're forming, the things you're doing, the thoughts you're thinking, the things you're allowing to take root, are they harmful or are they healthy? And if we want to understand how to persevere, the first thing we have to do is change our mindset about it and understand when we push through, when we do an extra set, when we go to the gym even though we don't want to, when we give even when it's hard, when we show up and serve even when we're tired, we are learning to develop character that perseveres and eventually that leads to true growth. And that is really the first thing I want us to understand together today. Perseverance is the key to growth. You want to grow in your marriage, you got to keep going. You got to push through. You want to persevere in your workplace, you've got to learn to deal with people that get on your nerves, and you got to keep going. It, it's just the key to life. But number two, and, and this is where I want to spend a, a bulk of our time today, because to me, this is really um, probably the most important thing I have to say today when it comes to perseverance. Perseverance is rooted in contentment. It's rooted in contentment. If we want to learn to persevere, we have to learn to be content. And that's coming from someone who has struggled with learning to be content. We are hardwired to see the glass half, half empty. It's just our nature. It's our being. It takes work to be positive. It takes work to be optimistic. But you and I are hardwired 
to be pessimistic, to question things, to see things as half empty. And, and I know that sounds tough. I'm not trying to say that you are pessimistic, but if you are optimistic, it's because you have to work at it. And one of the things I think that's so important is that we learn to be content in life, in general, with our spiritual life, with our faith. One of the beautiful verses that often gets quoted, and it's often misquoted sometimes, and it's taken out of context a lot, is Philippians 4.13. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You'll often see athletes quote it before a big game. A lot of people will use it for a test they're about to take. I could do it because I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But I want to take a deep dive right now into the context behind Philippians 4.13. Because the verses before Philippians 4.13 are actually key and actually, to me, more impactful to my life than Philippians 4.13 itself. This is what Philippians 4.11 and 12, and we'll put 13 at the end, says. And it's so important. Look at what the Apostle Paul writes. This is gold right here. If you don't hear anything else, look at these verses. They're so good. He says this, I don't say this out of need, but I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. Look at this. He says, I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. The context of Philippians 4.13 is the, the theology of contentment. Of learning, I have learned to live with little. I have learned to live with a lot. I have learned to live while being hungry at times. And I have learned to live when I have more than I need on my plate. Paul is saying in all things, I have learned to be content. I have learned to be at peace with what I have and what I don't have. And in Philippians 4.13, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because of the contentment I have in my heart for my circumstances. For those of you who may not know, um, Paul is writing Philippians from a prison cell. And and it's not a prison cell like you think of, like American prison system where he gets three meals a day, he gets a bed, he gets a toilet. Uh, Let me explain just really quickly where Paul is writing this from because it brings so much more light to these verses. He says this, or he doesn't say this, but this is what happens in Roman days. When you are going to prison in Roman days, they will publicly drag you out, strip you of all your clothes, and before they put you into a prison cell, they are to beat you, they are to flog you, they are to uh, publicly humiliate you by you being naked in front of people while you're being beaten, and then after you're beaten, you're thrown into a cell, and in the cell, you are chained up, you are shackled with your hands together, your feet together. There is no bathroom. Your clothes, if you're lucky, will be returned to you, but they will be bloodied as your blood seeps into them. Your life, you will get almost no food. If you're, lu- if you're lucky, you may get one meal. You are shackled together. You are in the, the midst of a cell that is somewhat outdoors. There's not really a lot of covering. It's not like you have shelter, per se. There is no bathroom. Most prisoners in that day usually had to use the bathroom on themselves. And in the midst of this circumstance, Paul is writing and saying, I have learned to be content with all things. 
Can you imagine sitting shackled together? You're bloodied. Your eyes blackened. You're bleeding from everywhere because you just got publicly humiliated. You're sitting in somewhat of your own urine and feces, and you're sitting here, and you're shackled together. And in the midst of that, you were saying, in all things, I have learned to be content, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There was a key that Paul understood, and we see this earlier in Philippians, in Philippians 1, verses 20, and verse 21. He says this, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. What does that mean? It means this, hey, at Rome, I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to be faithful to Jesus. You want to throw me in prison? That's fine. You know what? I'm going to preach the gospel to the prison guards, and Jesus and, and an angel from heaven is going to come and set me free from prison. And that's actually what happened. If you read the book of Acts, Paul is thrown into prison, but is miraculously brought, brought out of prison by an angel of the Lord after he had saved and, and preached the gospel and salvation came to the prison guard. You want to beat me within an inch of my life, that's cool. I'll go to prison and preach the gospel to the people there. You don't want to beat me. Okay, so you want to kill me. And he says, for me to die is gain. What does that mean? That means, okay, you don't want to beat me. You just want to go ahead and execute me and kill me. That's fine too because then I'll go and be with Jesus forever. I won't have to suffer anymore. I won't have to endure the, the hardships that are being brought to me. I could be at peace. I could be with my Savior. I could be home Finally, so if you kill me, you're doing me a favor. If you beat me and throw me in prison, you're doing me a favor. Paul understood that in all things he could be content because in all things he had Jesus. You want to throw me in prison, Jesus is there with me. You want to kill me, I'll go be with Jesus. There was nothing you could throw at this man that would throw him off of his gain, off of his faith, off of his reliance on God. And so has to be with you and I today. Honestly, we don't want to keep going sometimes because we're discontented, because we're not content, right? Uh, I, I set out on a goal years ago uh, to lose 30 pounds, and some of you are looking at me and saying, it doesn't look like you've lost 30 pounds, and you'd be right, I haven't lost 30 pounds, okay? I told you not everyone achieves their goals in life. But here's the deal. I, I said I'm going to lose 30 pounds. I went on a diet. I went to the, the gym three times a day, and within two weeks, I lost 15 pounds. It was amazing. I lost 15 pounds in two weeks. But then you know what happened? <laughs> I, I plateaued. That last 15 pounds wasn't coming off. I was still doing the same thing. The gym three times a week. I was still trying to be better about how I took care of my body, yet I couldn't lose any more weight at that time. I had plateaued. And you know what happened? I became discontented. I wasn't content anymore. I was upset. I was mad at the progress I wasn't making. And because I was mad at the progress I wasn't making, after I saw how much I made in two weeks, I gave up. I stopped dieting. I stopped going to the gym. I asked questions like, is this really worth it? Does this really matter? Should I continue to not eat Chick-fil-A? Does this really help me in the long run? We all got to die from something. Might as well die fat and happy, right? And so I was just like, why keep going? And, and, and that's where I want us to focus in on as, as we finish this section is, when you are not content in any area of your life, you are more prone to give up. You are more, more prone to start well, yes, because you're upset with where you're at, but you're more prone to give up when the progress doesn't happen. When you come to church and the message doesn't speak to you just the way you thought. When they didn't play your favorite song or your favorite singer wasn't on stage. When we don't have a group specific to your specific need. When uh, we're not able to do as much as you think we should be able to do because the, the finances are lower than you thought they were. Whatever it may be, you may be sitting at home and thinking, man, 
I'm just not happy with where the church is, where my spiritual life is, where my family is, where my work is, in a whole. And you've become so discontented with your life in general that you just want to throw in the towel and give up. And that's where a lot of us are today, especially after two years of a pandemic that has just ruined a lot of our lives. But in the middle of that, if we will learn to stop and be content, we will understand that we, and by we, I mean you and I who live in America, and this isn't a political statement, it's just truth. We are richer than 95% of the world. We have more uh, things, uh, technology than most of the world. We have more opportunities than most of the world. We have more freedom than most of the world. We have a lot of things in our life that 95% of people in the world would kill to have. Yet we are some of the most depressed people in the world. We're some of the most discouraged people in the world. We're some of the most angry people in the world because we have not learned to stop and be content with what God has given us. If God did not answer your prayers, if God never came through like you thought he should, would you continue to push through in your faith? Or would you throw in the towel and say, this isn't for me? We have to learn to be content if we want to persevere. So number one is we have to change our mindset around perseverance and see that perseverance is good for us, for our growth. And then secondly, if we're going to persevere, we have to learn to be content. And then number three, and this is a shortcut. So if you've been listening, you're like, that sounds like a lot of work. Here, here's something I'm going to give you that I shouldn't give you, but I'm going to give you because it's so important. It, it, it's, it's a shortcut. I'm not big on shortcuts. I don't like shortcutting processes, shortcutting things. But if you want to see true perseverance in your life, there is something you can do right now that would shortcut a lot of the hardships you would have to endure. And this is it right here. Number three, perseverance truly just is easier in community. It is. It, perseverance is easier in community. We can understand a lot about our actions, about our mindsets when we examine our circle of influences and in our communities that we choose to be a part of. Right? And, and you want to take your health seriously, you probably shouldn't surround yourself with people who eat out for every meal. You want to take your finances seriously, you probably shouldn't hang around people who just whimsically buy whatever they want without giving two thoughts to how it affects their budget. You want to take your faith seriously, probably not a good idea to surround yourself and make people influences in your life who could care less about God, care less about spirituality, and care less about church. That's just not a smart decision. Right, But if we want to learn to persevere in life, we have to create a healthy community. It's, it's just part of life. And the early church did this better than any of us ever have probably. Look at what it says in Acts 2, 42 through 44. This is talking about the early church. They, the early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled in awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now look at this. It says, now all the believers were together and held all these things in common. They all had the same life. They all devoted themselves to the same things. Now, I want to clarify before I go any further, an asterisk. I am not telling you to surround yourself with people who just think the way you do, act the way you do, live the way you do, believe the same things you do, there should be diversity in your circles of influences. But at the core of your circle of influences, everyone should have a commonality within the group. If your group 
you're the only one who takes your faith seriously and the rest of your circle of influences does not care at all, you will be sucked into that mindset and that hard attitude of, I just, maybe I should just not go back to church. What's really the church for anyway? Right, I can, I can find Jesus. I can experience Jesus at home by myself. I don't need to be at church. I don't need to give. Why do I give? The, the other people give and they seem to be doing fine. The bills are paid. I don't have to serve others. There are other people out there who do great things like the souls ministry. They're taking care of people. It's easy to allow people to influence you to give up, to throw in the towel, to stop dieting, to stop exercising, to stop fasting and seeking God, to stop taking your faith seriously. But if you want to continue and you want to push through and you want to persevere, it will be a hundred times easier when you have a healthy community around you with common goals. Uh, Here's something I think all of us need to hear, and this goes beyond what I'm talking about today, about perseverance. It goes to a broader point about life in general. Everything is easier in community. Everything is easier in community. It just is. Marriages are easier when you have a healthy community around you. Life and work is easier when you have a healthy community around you. Church is easier when you have a community around you that truly loves you and truly knows you. That is uh, just a fact of life. That is why we spend so much time pushing you, trying to get you to sign up for groups, because groups create community, and community is there to help you, to pray with you, to serve you, to encourage you. Hey, it's probably not good for you to be continuing down this path let's talk about it let's let's examine why you're doing the things you do let's pray for you let's pray for your marriage we know it's it's kind of rocky right now let's help you let's go out and talk about these things that's why the community aspect of church is the most important aspect of church in general because we are intentionally trying to create communities that will help you persevere help you push through help you prioritize and this sounds like a plug but it's not That's why the two things we got going on in the next month are so important, right? We have the winter retreat for students coming up literally in like three-ish weeks, three, four weeks. The reason I've been spamming so many of y'all's emails and telling you sign up your 6th through 12th grader for winter retreat is not because we just want to have more numbers. It's because one of the goals we have for the winter retreat is to create a healthy Christ-like community of friendships, lifelong friendships for these students. So many students... They go through life. You've been there. You created friendships. As soon as you graduate from high school, where'd all your friends go? Most of them aren't in your life anymore. Most of them, especially if you went away for college. One of the goals for our winter retreat is to create community, create lifelong healthy friendships for these students so that they can look back and say, I created a friend at the winter retreat in 2022. And ever since then, that volunteer, that friend I made that was in my grade that I never talked to, now I lean on them when I'm having a hard time. Now I'm lonely, and I don't know who to talk to about these things, and they're there for me. That's why things like the winter retreat are so important. That's why we try to get you to get your kid to go, not because we want them just to go hang out and have fun. We want them to create friendships that last a lifetime that are there for them through the long haul of life. And that's why things like sanctuary are so important. When we come together and we sit together and we sing and praise God 
together as a body. That's why the fast is so important that we do it together. We are creating community. Oh, you're doing a fast? I'm doing a fast too. Oh, you're giving up this? Oh, I gave up that too. How'd it go for you? Oh, it went good for me. I had a little bit of trouble in the, in the middle. And that's why we try to create things that y'all can rally around to create community. Because there are so many people, and not just at Forest Park, there are so many people that treat church as a hobby, as a checklist, and they come in, they get their coffee, they sit down, and as soon as I say amen, they walk to their car, they go home, they watch football, and, and they take a nap. And that's okay for some of us. To, we're like, that's fine with me. That's what I wanted. But when life gets tough, when things go south, who will you turn to? Who will you lean on? Who will be there for you? Because here's the deal. We have a culture that says, who needs people anyway? Who needs other people? You just need yourself. People are messy. People bring problems. People are tough. People betray you. But here's the reality. You want to live a life alone, you'll find something out. Life alone has its benefits because there's no one else there to bother you. But life alone is tough because there's no one there to lean on when life goes south. When things get tough, no one to listen to your problems. When you need someone to pray for you, no one to pray for you. When your marriage is on the rocks and you need counseling, no one there. When it's your child is rebelling and you would really like some advice, no one there. When finances are crippling and you really want someone to help you put a budget together, no one there. Because you have isolated yourself. That's why I'm trying to tell you now, one of the keys to persevering really is creating community. Ask yourself this question before I, I, I get ready to wrap up. At Forest Park Church now, I'm talking about at Forest Park Church, if you consider this your family, who at Forest Park Church truly knows you? Truly knows you, right? Not just, oh, I think I think her name is, uh, what's her name, right? Uh, she, she does that stuff in the community, right? Not that kind of knows, but who truly knows you? Your name, your family, your struggles, your job, your, your wins in life, your losses in life. Who knows that about you? Because here's a tidbit I want to give you as we get ready to move on. It's about being known. To be 99% known is to be unknown altogether. You cannot be fully known at 99%. You have to be fully known at 100%. Some of us want people to know us. They can know this part about me, but I don't want them to know this part about me. And, and so we think I can give them this side of my life, but not that side of my life. And if you want to create community, there's a vulnerability that comes with that. And being vulnerable is tough. Being vulnerable is awkward, and being vulnerable sometimes feels like opening yourself up to judgment. But in Christ's family, in the kingdom of God, there is no judgment. There's only love, there's only care, there's only repentance when we drop the ball, and there's only forgiveness. If you want to grow, if you want to persevere, you have to create and do it in community. Uh, I want to mention this as we get ready to close now about perseverance. It's something I want to remind us of today. Uh, it's this. The Christian life is a life of hardships. It, it just is. If you choose to follow Christ, your life will be tough. I'm not saying every second of every day will be tough. I'm not saying there aren't bright spots. I'm not saying there's reason to, to hope for a better tomorrow. But what I am saying is, if you choose to follow Christ, there is hardships that come with that. Real hardships. And here's how I know. Look at the apostles' life. 
the apostles who chose to follow Jesus. I just want to give you really quickly a synopsis of how their life looked from the time they met Jesus till the time they died. Here's what it looked like. Each was called to leave their jobs, leave their towns, leave their families, and to travel with a teacher who they did not really know. They gave up, gave up all their money, gave up all their family, gave up all their friendships. There was no guaranteed of a daily meal, no guaranteed of any money, no guaranteed of uh, being liked. In fact, they followed this teacher called Jesus, and their life was harder. They were more hungry. They were more poor. They were more somewhat alone, leaving their family and friends, leaving their jobs, and, and their life became hard. And in fact, they went to towns and were literally ran out of town. It's not like they were accepted everywhere they go. People hated them. Okay, okay. But then, then they left behind everything, and the person they chose to follow died. Jesus was killed brutally in front of them. The person they gave their life to for three straight years they left everything behind for is now dead. Okay, but the resurrection comes. There's hope. Great, Jesus is back. And that's not to minimize the resurrection, but the resurrection was just a key part in the story of their lives. That they experienced the resurrection. Jesus is back. Now we can finally do what we were going to do, take over Rome, take over the government. And Jesus said, actually, uh, I'm just back to kind of show you all that I never died, and, and, and that I didn't actually die for good, and now I'm going to heaven. And he left his disciples and went back and left them. Then the Holy Spirit came down. The Holy Spirit came down and engulfed the, the apostles, and they became uh, on fire for Jesus. There was a revival that took place. Thousands and thousands of people were coming to Christ in Acts, in the New Testament, yet their life was still not great. They were still driven out of towns. They were still beaten. They were still bloodied. They were still put in prison. They were still hungry. They were still had no home. They still had not a lot of friends, and they were, in a lot of ways, still suffering. So their life before Jesus was pretty good. Once they met Jesus, no money, no food, a lot of friends left them, people ran them out of town. They were uh, beaten to death, put in prison for preaching a message of hope and love. And, and then this is how it ends for the 12 apostles. Let me just read to you how the apostles' life ended. Paul, the person we love and know who wrote most of the, uh, of the New Testament, his life ended because he was beheaded in Rome for preaching the gospel. Peter, the one who denied Christ that we love so much, was crucified upside down by the hands of the Roman Empire for preaching the gospel. Andrew, his brother, was crucified in what is now known as Turkey. Thomas, doubting Thomas, was stabbed to death in, his what, in, in the country we now know as India. Matthew, the tax collector, was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. Philip was beaten to death in Asia. Bartholomew was skinned alive and crucified. James uh, was thrown off of a roof of a building, and when they realized he didn't die from the fall, they went and stoned him and beat him to death. Simon, the zealot, was crucified. James, the other James, was beheaded. John was the only one to die of natural causes while he was exiled to an island. And this is how their life ended, brutally, hard, tough. And we look at their life from beginning to end when we read it in the Gospels, and we say, but my life should be different. When I choose to follow Jesus, my life shouldn't have hardships. My life shouldn't have suffering. My life shouldn't have bumps in the road. I should expect people to still love me and not shun me, even though everyone who followed Jesus was shunned by a lot of their closest family and friends. You want to follow Jesus, don't be surprised that you're entering into a life of putting other people first, putting your needs last, and being put 
at a place where there's going to be suffering. And when there's suffering, you're going to have to persevere. It's just the reality of our calling as Christ followers. And that is not how I want to end the message. I want to end the message this way. Because in the midst of all that kind of deep, depressing stuff I just mentioned, there is a hope for you. There is a hope for me. And it's this. Perseverance is possible because of the empty tomb. As Christ followers, our our lives may not be great all the time. They may have suffering. They may have hardships. But for us, unlike everyone else, there is a hope that we cling to that is greater than any hope this world has to offer. Look at what Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 7. These are beautiful verses. I want us to see these together as we get ready to close. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope. Look at that adjective. Into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiable, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. He goes on to say, you are being guarded by God's power through faith for salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time. If necessary, you suffer grief in various trials so that the proven character, look at that again, character that we've been talking about, of your faith, more valuable than gold, may result in praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We have a living hope. Guys, you're going to drop the ball. Your goals aren't going to always turn out the way you want. You're not going to persevere all the time. You're human. You're imperfect just as I am. But there is a living hope that you and I as Christ followers can cling to. It's not a hope that fades away like our money. A lot of us put our faith in our money and our financial portfolio, and then we realize by the end of our life that when we're gone, it means nothing. You can't take it with you. A lot of us put it into our relationships, into our marriages, and we say, my wife will be the person who satisfies me. And we realize that our wife is just as messy as we are, our husband is just as messy as we are, and our children, well, surely my children will turn out better, and our children don't always turn out better. Sometimes there's hiccups along the road. We'll put it in ourselves. I'll, I'll satisfy myself. I'll be my God. Who lets you down and disappoints you more than you do? We disappoint ourselves more than anyone else in our life will ever disappoint us. We lie to ourselves saying we're going to do something. We promise ourselves we'll never do something again, and yet we constantly drop the ball. But because of Christ, because of the resurrection, we have a living hope. Jesus is not dead. He's alive. The resurrection and hope that we, we cling to today is the hope that, we, that Paul looked to in a prison cell in Philippi when he was chained, beaten, bloodied, when he said, I am content in all things. He looked to the resurrection because he knew because of what Jesus did, he had a hope past his present circumstance. He had a living hope to look forward to one day, that he knew that this world, this earth, was not his final home, that his home was a different world with his creator, with his father, and he could look towards that hope to be with him one day. And in that place that we will one day go to, there is no more tears, there is no more fear, there is no more hurting, there is no more uh, depression, there is only love, joy, and peace. And as he said, Jesus said in John 10, 10, he has come to give us life 
and give us life more abundantly. And that life is with him in another world. And that's the hope we cling to. You want to persevere in any aspect of your life. You're going to have to understand perseverance is important and key to your growth in life. You're going to have to learn to be content in all things. You're going to surround yourself with a community, not live life in a nutshell by yourself, but live it with other people. And you're going to have to cling to the hope of the resurrection that Jesus did. These things will help us persevere, help us find grace and forgiveness when we drop the ball, and we'll be able to look towards a brighter future because of the cross, the cornerstone of our faith. And we look to the guy who did it all for us when he endured the suffering on the cross for you and for me. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the people who gave up their Sunday morning just to watch us here, <laughs> you know, watch me preach to an empty room and listen to hopefully some hope for their life. God, I, I have dropped the ball. Uh, even as a pastor, God, I, I dropped the ball yesterday. I dropped the ball today. Uh, Lord knows I'll drop the ball tomorrow. And God, you still meet me with grace and mercy every day. You still meet me with there's a hope for tomorrow. And God, I don't want to become the person who gives up when things get hard. I don't want to be the person who gives up because I'm ashamed of my past failures. I want to be the person who looks towards what you did for me, who surrounds myself with a good, healthy, Christ-like community. I want to be the person who learns to look at my life and in the midst of the mess say, I'm learned to be content in all things. And I want to understand, God, more and more every day that the more I persevere, the more I grow. Would you allow me, would you allow the people watching online to remember these truths, to hold fast to them, to hold fast to the living hope that is found in Jesus Christ? And will we become men and women that become light to the darkness and hope to the broken world around us? And may we do everything for the building up of your kingdom and the glory of your name. We pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, guys, have a great day. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, two things, please, if you're a 6th through 12th grader, sign yourself up for the winter retreat, fplive.org slash retreat. And, hey, do not forget, last day of fast is tomorrow. And then Tuesday we have our sanctuary gathering here at Forest Park Church from 7 to 8. We'd love for you to come and join us as we end our fasting season together as a church body. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. Enjoy the warm heat at your house. See ya.